Silence is not an option. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. Fascism is characterized by the forcible suppression of opposition. We are witnessing an American political party who is embracing that oppression without shame. Across the country, the fascist GOP is scrambling because they know their time is short. In breaking news, we just learned that a federal judge in Texas has suspended FDA approval of the abortion pill Mifepristone. This coming on the same week, of course, that the fascist dear leader was finally arrested. This party is desperate to cling on to power by any means. In the Tennessee legislature, that meant expelling two brilliant young black lawmakers who refused to be silent on the anniversary week of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., no less. No wonder these fascist politicians don't want us to learn history. But while the Republican Party is taking a tailspin into the darkness, the politics of love, to borrow a phrase from Representative Jamal Bowman, are thriving in the light. Love for democracy, love for truth, love for life and freedom and the rights of our fellow men and women. This movement of love not only catapulted the cause for gun safety this week in Nashville, but also brought about a historic victory in Wisconsin where the pro-democracy, pro-choice candidate for the state Supreme Court won by a landslide. The pro-democracy majority in Wisconsin now controls the state's highest court for the first time in 15 years. And speaking of love, the wheels of justice are turning against the oppressive, obstructive ways of former President Donald Trump, not only in the lovely city of New York, but all the way down the beautiful East Coast. I have an exclusive update to share with you in my case against the Trump campaign. And in D.C., special counsel Jack Smith is winning one legal battle after another to obtain the testimony of everyone from key witnesses at Mar-a-Lago to Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and former Vice President Mike Pence. Trump sycophants may cry tears over his arrest, but no one has ever shown more love for Trump than the prosecutors finally forcing him to face the truth. Here we are, Ben Micellis. What a what an, a momentous week once again. A momentous week. And before we went live, like literally minutes before we went live, we learned about this horrific order coming out of the Northern District of Texas by a judge named uh, Judge Matthew Kosmerick. Um, judge Kosmerick is a Trump appointee, um, sits in the Northern District of Texas, and uh, he has stayed the FDA approval of Mifepristone, the abortion pill that's been approved for over two decades. This order is slated to take effect in seven days. And to be very clear what it means by staying the effective date of the FDA's approval, it means stopping it. It means not allowing Mifepristone to be sold. And that will take place in seven days. Um, this is a, you heard that right, it is a 2000 uh, approval. This isn't, we're not talking about, you know, th there was some agency actions in the past few years as well, but we're talking about a drug that was approved in September of 2000, a drug that's efficacy has been proven 100% safe. And this is not a both sides issue. These are MAGA Republican groups that have been forum shopping to try to find the right judge to make this order. 
They've been looking for courts across the country for the past two decades to find the right judge. And they found the right judge in the extremist fascist in Judge Matthew Kaczmarek. Um, let me just read for you what the order says. And again, I've had some opportunity to go through it. It's a 67 page order. Um, and we got it about 10 minutes before, but I've been able to distill some of the highlights here. Um, so uh, the order says the following. Accordingly, the court hereby stays the effective date of the FDA September 28, 2000 approval of Mifepristone and all subsequent challenged actions related to that approval. For example, the 2016 changes, the 2019 generic approval, and the 2021 actions. Let me pause there for a second. The reason that that's important is that this was past the statute of limitations. The ability to challenge an agency action is a six-year statute of limitations. And what the court found here was because the FDA have approved other versions, basically, of mifepristone, that basically the statute of limitations from 2000 was told and continued on uh, until 2019 uh, and 2021. That is the tortured logic that the court used to go all the way back to 2000. The court goes on to say, this court acknowledges that its decision in Texas v. Biden has been appealed to the Fifth Circuit. That is a case involving other action where this court has basically gutted life-saving drugs uh, to be issued. If the Fifth Circuit reverses this court's Section 705 analysis, the court clarifies that it alternatively would have ordered defendants to suspend the chemical abortion approval and all subsequent challenged actions related to that approval until the court can render a decision on the merits. So here the court saying, regardless of what you rule court of appeals on the other issues, I am still saying that my ruling here is not going to be effective. So try affected at all. So the court's trying to dig in its heels uh, further. Um, and there's a seven day period for this to be appealed by the Department of Justice. So this doesn't go into effect for seven days, um, but the appeal ultimately will go to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which has been filled with Trump judges. So the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is not a friendly place for democracy, for women, for LGBTQ+. They are a very hateful and despicable place. I don't want to mince my words here. So that is the group that's going to be hearing uh, this challenge. And I I'll just go through just very, very briefly some of the other portions of this order because people are probably saying, um, you know, how could this be so? How could this be um, happening? And the court basically looked at uh, the FDA's approval process and said it was arbitrary and capricious. And the court also found that in 2000, there was uh, a what's called a subpart H that was issued um, and that this didn't comply with the subpart H, which the court says to satisfy subpart H, FDA deemed pregnancy a serious or life-threatening illness and concluded that mifepristone provided meaningful therapeutic benefits to patients for existing treatments. And the court basically found pregnancy is just simply a normal physiological state. That is a male judge saying there's nothing dangerous about pregnancy. It's a normal physiological state. So that's basically the, uh, the order there. 
Wow. I mean, we, and, and, and we're now just getting a new breaking update because we are live where a Washington judge just issued. I mean, this is happening as we are as live, we, a dueling injunction prohibiting the FBA now for the FDA from pulling Mifepristone off the market, which directly conflicts with Judge Kaczmarek's. And it says pursuant to federal rule of civil procedure 65A, defendants and their officers, agents, servants, employees, attorneys, and any person in active concert or participation are preliminarily enjoined from altering the status quo and rights as it relates to the availability of mifepristone under the current operative January 2023 risk evaluation. So you see that ruling in Washington, that ruling in Texas, and it's chaos, not created by both sides. This drug has been around since 2000. It's been safe. A woman has a right to control her body. These, This is the MAGA Republicans wanting to take our country to very, very, very dark times and trying to make our country look like fascist regimes. That's what's going on. That's my report, Jessica, on what we know now. And you see why I, I uh, object to you calling yourself my sidekick because you you are an invaluable part of this broadcast. I could not have done that without you. Thank you so much, Ben Micellis, for your uh, in-depth legal breaking analysis of that news. Was it Washington State? Uh, I'm assuming that the other conflicting uh, order is coming out of. Yeah, I mean, it's just so remarkable because this is this is what they are doing. They are digging their heels in on the abortion issue. Um, and gun control is the other major issue that we saw highlighted so in such relief this week. These are not popular positions that they hold. They are vastly unpopular. And yet they are digging in their heels, trying, trying, grasping to hold on to power because they know that they are losing it. They know that they are in the minority. And so they are just taking the most extreme measures to take away what is the will of the majority of Americans in this country when it comes to gun safety, when it comes to bodily autonomy, the most basic bodily autonomy for women. Um, you know, we've I've talked on this network before about how, um, you know, we could go into how the, the so-called pro-life movement has is completely not pro-life. This is a a pro-death forced abortion movement um, that is is just causing this doesn't stop rich Republicans and their mistresses and their wives from getting abortions, which they will continue to get as long and whenever they need them in whatever state or jurisdiction because of access. This affects people who whose um, live who do not have the economic means to get the care they need, who who um, have pregnancies that are threatening their health, um, it will cause, this is a pro-death movement, not a pro-life movement. And it is obviously not a pro-freedom movement because one of the basic, uh, you know, um, if you're free, it, the, the premise is that you're first alive. So um, I, it's just, it's it's very upsetting, but I think it is it is a sign um, as I said in the open, of them being aware that they are losing power and taking the most extreme measures possible to try to retain that power with very clearly minority support, not majority support in this country, to to hold on to it. Jessica, I couldn't agree more with you. And 
you know, obviously it's breaking news that was not something that we planned on talking about uh, until uh, the, the news of both of those rulings just broke. But it does tie in directly to the overall theme of this episode, because what we saw happened in Tennessee, what we saw with the lawlessness by the MAGA Republicans in response to Donald Trump's arrest. You know, they're the ones who are politicizing everything. I mean, these are issues of democracy. These are issues about law and order. And you have MAGA Republicans who are lawlessness and disorder. They torture the Constitution and then say, well, here I'm a textualist and here I'm an originalist. Total BS. The bottom line is that whatever justification allows them to try to defend their privilege um, and discriminate against people, that's how they will interpret it. And we're going to talk about Tennessee in a little bit, but you just look at the Second Amendment, right? It literally has the words well-regulated militia in it. And it's not confusing what it means because there are other portions of the Constitution which talk about militias. And militias are called upon to put down insurrections, to work with the federal government as a tool to suppress insurrections that needs to be well-regulated as a result of that important function. Like It's not a difficult interpretation, yet as Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland, talks about, the MAGA Republicans have taken an insurrectionist view of the Second Amendment where the reason that they need weapons of war everywhere and that their toddlers should be holding AR-15s and they should be taking AR-15s with Christmas cards is because they want to prepare for the insurrection to overthrow our government. You know, and so at some point it's like Occam's razor, like the simplest explanation is true here. Like uh, when it comes to the debt ceiling, they don't want to raise the debt ceiling because they want to destroy our economy. You know, you look at MAGA Republicans like Tommy Tuberville, right? He's not allowing our military officials to be confirmed. He's holding up the unanimous consent process. Why? Because they want to destroy our military. They're saying our military's too woke. Donald Trump's talking about defund the FBI, defund the Department of Justice, defund the ATF, defund law enforcement. Why are they saying that? Because that's what Putin wants. It's the simplest explanation. Those are the things, destroy the economy, destroy the institutions, destroy the military. Why would they be doing all of those things? It ain't because they're conservative. They're nothing conservative about that. I'll tell you that much. They're not conservative. And it's just, it's a movement of hate. That is what I really, I really wish that the people that still exist in that echo chamber where they are, they celebrate Christmas holding AR-15s, having their six-year-olds hold AR-15s next to a Christmas tree that's about celebrating the Christ, <laughs> a, a gospel of love and, and not death, not killing, but ri rising. It's Easter week. It's Easter week, Ben. This is about resurrection. And you have this party that is supposedly the ones who embrace Christianity in this country. And they just are on constant display of the antipode of everything that Christianity represents. I've said this before, but with all of the discussion about gun violence this week and just the insanity, like you're saying, that we cannot enact sensible laws, the laws that are just the obvious answer to stopping mass murders 
in schools and grocery stores and movie theaters that that the the party that is fighting this is the so-called party of Christians? I don't think so. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not carnal. They're not AR-15s. You have Lauren Boebert out there walking around like some little televangelist saying Jesus wouldn't have been hung (laughs) on a cross if he had an AR-15. Oh my God, get, I mean, just the blasphemy is so sickening. It's so sickening and anti-Christian. And on the, the same week, you have this, this overwhelmingly white male supermajority in Tennessee expelling, expelling two brilliant young black lawmakers on the anniversary week of the assassination of the reverend and this man, he is like, my all-time hero next to Jesus Christ, okay? The Reverend Martin Luther King, who was the leader in this country of, of peaceful protest against racial injustice. He was the diadem of an example for how to peacefully protest um, injustice. And you have these two men peacefully protesting, one of them, Justin Pearson, a representative from Memphis, Shelby County, and the the lack of awareness, or maybe they are aware and they are just like I said, they are so dug in, the devil knows his time is short, so he's fast at work, that they would do this on this week to these young men when what they're literally speaking up for is such a basic and obvious need for some gun safety legislation. So we don't have to teach our children that what makes them more manly or womanly or strong or courageous is holding a weapon that re- literally requires the touch of a button to annihilate someone's organs. I mean, take someone down with your bare hands. That makes you more of a man or a woman. But pressing a button on a weapon of war, that makes you more manly or womanly or God forbid Christ-like? I don't think so. I couldn't agree more with you. Those scenes from Tennessee, um, as, as I reflect upon them, it's, it is why, you know, though millennials by and large, Gen Z almost totally, you know, look at these MAGA Republicans and they go, what the, what the heck is this? That's why they have to gerrymander, you know, to, to, to stay in power. It's why, you know, and again, when they were taking this vote to expel, you know, they they keep the one white lawmaker in, right? And they immediately expel the two black lawmakers, uh, Democrats. Like they're not they're not even they're not even hiding it. And here we are in 2023, and the MAGA Republicans, you know, are just relitigating their grievances from the 40s and the 50s or the or the 1800s and and Jim Crow and they're they're doing it they're doing it right in the open and the way they're trying to do it too is is through gerrymandering through suppressing the vote you know and and through intimidation through you know all of this chicanery you know and and it starts also with the fact that they've they pretty. They, what does a Republican believe, Jessica? Like, like, like. Uh, uh, other than that, they they worship AR-15s. 
and they want to wear AR-15 pins, right? They hate LGBTQ+, they hate trans people. Like that's, that's they, they, they talk about Mr. Potato Head and M&Ms and um, that the princess from Mario this week, that's what they talked about from the Super Mario movie, that the princess was not helpless enough and they, and they talk about issues like that. But, but like w- what is actually their views on any policy issue? And I, 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 there, there is none when you when you break it down. I mean, at well, the same time, I mean, they have very fascist policies that are very anti freedom and very frightening. And well, it's, uh, it's all how to destroy someone's life. Okay, let's all fight for how to destroy women's life today. Okay, today let's how to destroy, control how to today, control today. Let's destroy the lives of trans people. Now let's destroy the lives of gay people. Now let's destroy the lives of black people. Now let's go after Muslims. Okay, well, Democrats are passing laws each and every day about, all right, like, can we get better jobs for people and higher paying wages and lowering prescription drug prices? The contrast could not be more clear, you know, and then one of the things that we see also, though, and I was reflecting on this with uh, with with my brothers earlier in the day, like the same way that like Kim Jong-un in North Korea, right, tells his the people in his country, hey, it's horrible in South Korea. It's horrible in America. We've got it perfectly here, right? As their people starve. Isn't that the exact same tactic? as a Ron DeSantis? Isn't that the exact same tactic as a Marjorie Taylor Greene and a Donald Trump and these governors of these other Republican states? I mean, imagine if a Democrat went into another state. You know, America is a beautiful country. And we were like, it's a shithole. That's a shithole. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene comes into New York and just starts lying. She didn't even leave the the vehicle, you know, and she spent time in the vehicle just, you know, again, saying that Donald Trump is like Jesus and Nelson Mandela. She barely left the vehicle and then just says, it's a horrible place. And it's, if you want to look at where the crime is the highest, where people suffer the most, like the life expectancy of people in red states, it's like 65 years old. It's 66 years old. In blue states, it's like 83, 84. The disparity couldn't be more clear, but that's the tactic. And it's it's uh, David Pepper who came up with this expression, laboratories of autocracy. And I think what we see is that all of these you know red states are almost in a race in their labs of autocracy, saying, how could we make America more like authoritarian regimes abroad? And that's how that's what we saw in Tennessee. Yeah, I think that I think what's going on in Tennessee is so interesting, not only because Nashville has been the center of this voter suppression um, just in the last in the last year. You, you know, Ben, that that Nashville was chopped up and gerrymandered. So they eliminated the Democratic seat in the U.S. House of Representatives for Nashville, although it is definitely a majority. It's the home of Vanderbilt, so many universities, of course, you know, country music. But this is this is a Democratic city for sure. And they gerrymandered the hell out of it so that they eliminated any kind of real representation for Nashville. Um, I don't know if you heard about this, Ben, but there was a push to have the RNC, the Republican National Convention in Nashville. And the Nashville Metro City Council, who, by the way, um, indicated today already that they are going 
going to put Justin Jones, the the Nashville um, Tennessee legislator, back in his seat right away, um, which is a little bit of a silver lining there. Um, but the Nashville Metro City Council or Nashville, Nashville Metro Council pushed back against the um, Republicans' efforts to bring the RNC into Nashville. And the state legislators retaliated against Nashville by trying to take away their control over some sports arenas and, and transit. Um, they're, they're just, they're, they're anti-democratic efforts in this state are so heinous. And I think this is really, you talk about laboratories of autocracy. You look at the South. I mean, it just, the South, I think is just waiting for an awakening, a, a, a jolt. And I really hope this is the beginning of it to, to come out of this, this just kind of red state suppression that they have been under for so long. These are voter suppressed states. I do not think that they are, they, they, you know, red cover that's over all of those states is really representative of their population. Um, and Georgia, of course, has led the way in that now becoming a blue state. And wouldn't it be beautiful if Tennessee followed in suit and some of these other states that just have the most, I mean, you look at a state like Mississippi, where they've tried to, um, Jackson is a majority black capital, and they've tried to take some of the power away from the locality of Jackson and put it into their white majority in into the hands of the white majority in the state. I mean, these are these are really overt, flagrant uh, power grabs that are that are anti-democratic. And I, I really am just so grateful that this light is shining on on their efforts and let this be an opportunity to reverse this trend. You know, the media loves to hoist up people like DeSantis, who's a freaking clown, by the way. DeSantis, DeSantis this, DeSantis that. And, and DeSantis is just actually causing so much damage to his state with his policies rather than actually, you know, building up. But like, you never hear the media talk about the governor of Kentucky, right? It's a Democrat. <laughs> the governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir, is a Democrat. So how could that be? How could a red state have a Democratic governor who wins with over 60% of the vote? How, how does that happen? Well, because Democrats are actually on a statewide level are delivering for the people are, you know, Andy Bashir isn't, you know, he's getting, uh, because they have an ability to override his veto. I think like you may have some nasty policies being enacted, but like, you know, Andy Bashir's enacting policies that help people and he's focused on jobs and education and, and healthcare and, and, and just a, a very kind of normal, you know, individual, whereas like DeSantis's main policy this week is to attack the biggest corporation because they embarrassed him because they said that they are supportive of LGBTQ plus rights. Let's think about it. DeSantis felt embarrassed because Disney had previously taken a position that says they are for equality. And as a result of Disney saying that they are for equality, DeSantis created a board that would basically try to wrest control away from 
the area that was being run by a Disney controlled board. And then DeSantis and his team didn't even read the documents that they were putting forward and didn't realize that they then gave Disney full power and failed to object to it in a public hearing. So then DeSantis got embarrassed and then DeSantis opened up a criminal investigation into Disney. Th that is how DeSantis is spending his time. That's what they're doing in, in Florida. That's like just straight up fascist. And speaking of straight up fascist, we, we definitely have to hit on uh, the arraignment, the arrest, the arraignment that took place. Um, but specifically, um, what Judge Juan Mershon said at the arraignment, you want you want to take that, Jessica? Yeah, well, he's he's you know he's really um, as I see it exercising extreme judicial restraint. Uh, we all know that Trump was leveling all kinds of threats against Alvin Bragg in the week leading up to his arraignment. He was um, calling out Alvin Bragg's wife. He said that Justice Mershon hates me, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that hatred. I gave it a tease in the open, didn't I? But uh, he he. Um, he put out a warning, um, very clear. He said, Def defense counsel, speak to your client and anybody else you need to and remind them to refrain. Please refrain from making statements that are likely to incite violence or civil unrest. Please refrain from making comments or engaging in conduct that has the potential to incite violence, create unrest, or jeopardize the safety or well-being of any individuals. Um, I would argue that that Trump was already in, in defiance of that instruction the night that he left New York and went to Mar-a-Lago, um, again, just riling up his his supporters against Alvin Bragg. Um uh, saying that, you know, our country is going to hell and, and the brag, brag is a racist, all these, these, these regular attacks. Um, as I said, I, I think that the judge is ex exercising extreme restraint. Um, and that this is something that we very well may be revisiting, um, with a possible gag order against Trump. <laughs> you know, I have friends that say, why don't, Tell me, tell me what that process would look like, Ben, if if it got to the point where Justice Mershon needs to issue a gag order. Could there be a potential arrest in the inter in the time between now and the December court date? Yeah, I mean, the way the gag order process would take place is first there would be a gag order that would it would have to be narrowly tailored to address very certain specific conduct. It couldn't just say, hey, don't speak about the case. It would have to be, you know, threats relating to the judge and the prosecutor and their family. Um, usually the first violation would be a fine. And then a second or third violation would be um, a potential arrest. I mean, the, the difficult part is that Trump engages in stochastic terrorism, which is terrorism by implication, basically, because he has his terrorist base riled up. What he needs to say is, hey, look at this judge and look at this judge daughter. This is her name and not say, hey, you need to attack the judge. You need to attack the daughter. Um, but Trump's followers know what it means when that gets posted. You know, Jessica, I've been on the receiving end 
of that and 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 you have as well you know those death threats and and those attacks and you know there's been a few times where Midas Touch has broken a very big story and someone in the Republican party one of their influencers you know will post something about us or post our names or do something like that their followers know exactly what that means and they they know your home address through some database searches or wh- however they get it they find your phone number you know and they call you and they threaten you and they email you you know and they say oh, these doxing. horrific yeah. total doxing yeah. And they go after family members. That's why what Trump does is mentions always, same thing with Jack Smith, Jack Smith's wife, Jack Smith's family, Jack Smith's friends. Same thing with Alvin Bragg, Alvin Bragg's wife, Alvin Bragg's family, Alvin Bragg's friends. Same things with, with Judge Juan Mershon. Go right after Judge Juan Mershon's daughter. Like how despicable can you be to post the name and identity of the judge's daughter? And when you think about Trump's social media platform, it basically is a terroristic cell. Like if you actually go on there and I, I, I go on there to do a lot of reporting, to look at data. And so I, I always check what he's, you know, posting, what people are posting. And if you just go there, like it's some of the most deranged things. And so like, if you just go to like any Donald Trump post, right? Like I just pulled this up randomly now. I didn't plan to do this during the show. So like, here's a, um, let me pull this up. Like, like here's, <laughs> here's a, here's a Trump post right here. Right. And if you just scroll, and you take a look at like the type of stuff that's posted, like the people who comment, make them illegal in all 50 states, get rid of ballot drop boxes. Um, you get these like weird cult posts like this, like we will not bend, we will not break. And then you, you got posts like this, hope you had fun investigating me. Now it's my turn. These are like, you know, these are, I'm just picking these at random. Um, Here's a post that someone does with Donald Trump holding an assault weapon. You know, it's all like QAnon stuff. Like there's thousands of messages like that from those kind of trolls. And it's some weird, deranged, dangerous stuff. So that's the problem with the gag order, though, is you say don't attack. You can't say for First Amendment purposes, you can't mention the name because that would likely be a... Um, potentially unlawful restraint on free speech that could be appealed. So it's 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 a tough one. But the shorter answer to your question is he could do jail time. Yeah. Yeah. I just hope that I hope that the you know, I know that there are so many unprecedented um, factors that the judge is dealing with. And and obviously, obviously, Trump always plays the victim. He's the greatest assaulter of free speech, but he always pretends like his free speech rights are the most violated in the world. And so there's going to be, I think, as there already has been, like I said, judicial restraint. But I I think that, um, you know, kind of in the spirit of all of the things that we're doing to fight this fascism, we have to be very bold. We cannot, we can't just like I was in my legal battle with the Trump campaign, we have to be very forward. We can't back down and be afraid of what they are going to do next. We have to do show strength throughout this process. I mean, the real possibility is, as you were describing, he incites these people. He is, in, he, he is inspiring stochastic terrorism and the result could end up some, being somebody hurt, some more people killed, just like he did on January 6th. 
And so um, I hope the judicial, the judges that are overseeing this right now, Juan Rashan, um, if it's necessary, does not restrain himself too much in treating Trump as he would treat any criminal defendant who is um, inciting violence. I don't think we've ever had a criminal defendant who had a platform as large as Donald Trump to do that. And so um, while while the whole scenario is obviously unprecedented, um, the, the necessary steps to prevent terrorism in this country, to prevent people from being harmed, um, I think we should take them. Um, and I just wanted to say, you're reading through those posts and those responses on on Truth Social, and this whole machinery. Just like when we talk about Fox News and the brainwashing, it you you have to they have to pinpoint an enemy. They have to make you feel like these prosecutors, like Trump always does. He says they're not after me; they're after you. This sick kind of you know trans, trying to transfer of the burden for his crime, criminal liability onto his supporters. And um, people have to feel like they're attacked and hated. And I'm just, I wanna, I wanna bring this out. I've said it before, but this, and this does not mean that I am personally invested in the salvation of Donald Trump, but let his supporters know if, if the people that are reporting th- these judicial unfoldments on Fox News were honest with their viewers. And if they were real friends of Donald Trump, even crying Lindsey Graham, if he was a real friend of Donald Trump, he would be happy for this exercise of justice. He would realize that Juan Mershon does not hate Donald Trump. Juan Mershon and Alvin Bragg are the best friends that Donald Trump has, has seen maybe his whole life because they're finally bringing this man to face the truth. I mean, this is these are just like, you know, I've, I've said this before. So many of these things we treat in a judicial context, in a political context, these are really just basic human issues. I mean, if we're in relationships, we have friends, we have, you know, ones that we love, we are honest with those people. We tell them their mistakes so that they can reform and do better and not make them again, not continue to hurt themselves and others. And that's at the foundation of the judicial system is to get people to reform their destructive behavior and be better people. And so judicial um, accountability for Donald Trump, criminal accountability for Donald Trump is the greatest gift, the greatest act of love that this man has ever seen. Um, and if if the people on the right of American politics on the media were honest and Christian and exercising the golden rule when they speak to their viewers, they wouldn't be trying to get their viewers to hate the people that are helping them. If we, As we've been discussing, the Democrats are just you know enacting laws to actually help their constituents constituents, but they would be um, they would be honest about who is really engaged in, like I said in the open, the politics of love. I was watching um, Ben last night, the coverage the, uh, after the fallout of, you know, these Tennessee lawmakers being expelled. And I had really just, as the week was going on and Trump was arrested, and I, I had this kind of theme in, in my mind about this really being an act of love. And I've talked about this before, about how my lawsuit was really a labor of love and just the need to understand justice as an unfoldment of love, not hatred. 
And I'm watching um, Jamal Bowman, who, by the way, he is the U.S. House representative who represents, um, I think, part of Westchester County up north of New York City. And he was the one that was very, very vocal in in the U.S. House in Congress um, right after the, the shooting at Covenant School. And just, you know, with the appropriate level of indignation and outrage over the fact that our lawmakers have not done something to restrict weapons of war on our streets and in our schools. And he was on television last night and he was talking about all of the efforts that basically Democratic lawmakers on the progressive side are, are working for. And he said, it's the politics of love. And I'm like, thank you, Representative Bowman, because you just tied my whole theme together for this week. Um, this really is a love versus hate scenario. Uh, fascism is hatred. Fascism is is born out of fear, fear of the other, fear of the other that is um, speaking out so we have to suppress them, fear of the other who is a different race, who we have to marginalize and um, keep in the shadows so that we can keep control. It's fear. Um, I think fear is the root of hatred, and that's what you have on one side. And on the other side, you have light and you have love, you have justice, you have truth. Um, and these are very clear choices that we have to make. You know, it's funny, I, to your point there, I teach a law class um, at, a, at a law school in Southern California. And I opened it up. I just said, you have any questions for me in general? I'll, I'll open it up, whatever questions you want to ask me. And they asked, they, one of the questions I got asked was my Georgetown Law School background, did that inform my career of politics? And I said, you know, it's funny because I really don't think what I do is political. And while, and they're like, what do you mean? Midas Touch is a political media network and one of the biggest political media networks, you know, in the world now. And, and I said, but I know that's maybe how people frame us. But I don't really view a lot of my views as necessarily being political. Like to your point, I view these views as, okay, let's be decent. Let's be compassionate. Like let's have humanity. Let's treat other people equally. Um, equality is a good thing. Like let's make sure that a woman can control her own body. Like I, I don't believe that these issues, like when there's a global pandemic, right? Uh, you know, that's, that's bad. Like let's take steps to try to stop the pandemic and let's not attack and arrest uh, the main doctor who for over four decades has come up with life-saving treatment on like every major like epidemic or pandemic or illness and is someone who's just a beloved figure and like a Dr. Fauci, like we should support free and fair elections. Like wh when did all of these issues become political? And it's not because Democrats made them political. It's not a both sides issue. Republicans who now are MAGA Republicans have taken the position that essentially on every single issue where you draw a line, when you put uh, on one side, okay, what's likely to cause the most harm, the most death, the most destruction, the most pain, the most suffering, which side I could almost tell you no matter what, they're going to come out on that side of every issue for each and everything. Every take that they have is so horrifically bad to the point where, 
okay, so not only are they saying that the insurrection was this peaceful thing, even though we all saw it with our own eyes, but now the Republican Party, they send congressional delegations that are usually reserved for like dignitaries and going to foreign countries to talk about democracy. They send a congressional delegation to hang out with the January 6th terrorists. Insurrectionists. And, and you know and, what and was sing so, songs and sing and, was, and have a J six choir. What what? And you know what they tried to do in Tennessee this week? They tried to equate the peaceful, nonviolent protests of these young people demanding an end to this insanity of AR fifteens annihilating children in their classrooms with terrorists, insurrectionists. And they're still doing it on on Fox News right now, this morning, probably going on right now, trying to equate domestic terrorists beating officers with flagpoles, vandalizing the United States Congress to these peaceful and rightfully indignant, uh, just out of patience with insanity, young people protesting peacefully in the Tennessee legislature. They are calling them insurrectionists. Did you notice that? And and that's all part of their gaslighting and their projection. But moving from Tennessee to Wisconsin, like there's a lot of hope this week. And you know, I, I know we didn't intend to start this episode with the breaking news by this fascist federal judge in Texas appointed by Trump basically uh, stopping the issuance of the FDA approval for abortion pills. Like that's not how I envision stuff, but we got to tell people the breaking news. That's the benefit of having this live show. But this week was filled with a lot of hope. I mean, number one, Donald Trump is arrested. To me, there was a lot of hope to arise out of what took place in Tennessee from the depths of some horrific conduct. And then you go to Wisconsin where this was an election week. We forget with all of the Trump arrest news and arraignment that there was probably one of the most important elections in the country taking place for a Wisconsin Supreme Court. One of the things that people from other countries are so shocked about, Jessica, when I talk about uh, these elections is they go, wait a minute, so, so judges run for office? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. In state courts, they run for their office. They could be initially appointed, but then they have to run. It's different by each state, but they they run for the Supreme Court position. Um, and then federal judges are appointed for lifetime. And so you kind of balance it though. So for all of the people though, who are like, it's really bad to have a situation where a, uh, a judge, a justice has to run. Think about the judge we talked about earlier in this episode, uh, Judge Kaczmarek, the Trump appointed judge who now has that position for life and doesn't have to have any accountability to voters, so can make rulings like that. Think about people like Justice Clarence Thomas, who this week we learned that uh, for the last two decades, he's been bankrolled by a Republican mega donor who's and paid millions- not yeah. disclose gifts, who's literally paid him millions of dollars in gifts. And Clarence Thomas's response is, 
Though, this is what he responded today. Those weren't gifts. That was hospitality. And I thought I could take millions of dollars in hospitality. But right, this isn't a both sides issue though. You know, This is coming from one side over and over again. But the only way to get rid of Clarence Thomas is by an impeachment process. And with MAGA Republicans in control of the House and without the necessary votes in the Senate with a slim majority, you can never get rid of a Clarence Thomas. So when we talk about elections, you got to think it through. Imagine if Clarence Thomas had a run in a nationwide election. Imagine if any of these justices, imagine that, that the Supreme Court had to run nationwide elections every six years. I could pretty much guarantee you, and the whole nation had to vote. Let's go through this hypothetical. Yeah. Nine Supreme Court justices. Right now, you have six right-wingers and you have three um, justices appointed by Democratic administrations, right? So that out of that nine, if you put that up for a re-election in front of the United States of America, I guarantee you 95% probability you would have nine justices who would reflect the values of where modern day Democrats stand on every issue. Nine to nothing. Nine to nothing. Because that's where the country actually is. That's where the majority is. And that's why, to your point earlier, the MAGA Republicans have to suppress, suppress, suppress. And when they can't, you have what happens in Wisconsin. Janet Protasiewicz. First time now in 15 years, you will have Democratic-backed Supreme Court justices um, running that court in a four to three um, posture on that court. And she ran on issues like a woman should control her own body. That was big. Her opponent, Dan Kelly, a MAGA Republican who provided guidance, I think, to legislatures, uh, legislators in Wisconsin who wanted to overthrow the election for Trump. Yeah, the voters saw that. That's why Janet Protasiewicz crushed. And guess what? When Dan Kelly had to give that concession speech, like every MAGA loser, it was the non-concession concession speech where he went up there and he was like, Normally, I would give a concession speech, but my opponent is someone beneath any dignity. I wish I were, you know, these people are disgraceful. There's the the judicial temperament of uh, Kavanaugh, right? Basically, Uh that's that's the temperament that you that you get from these right wing judges. But yeah, I see I see what happened in Wisconsin. And it's not just not just the abortion issue, which was huge and obviously galvanized Wisconsin voters in a way that shocked the system. I mean, that was a 10 point win, Um, just a a landslide victory, but also um, the pro-democracy. I mean, Wisconsin is a swing state. And there were, I saw chatter after after her when very much saying the quiet part out loud that they don't see a path to winning in 2024 without a Republican Supreme Court in Wisconsin, because of course they're they're they are looking to steal an election um, to hand to have some uh, you know corrupt judges, corrupt Supreme Courts, cor- corrupt electors, whoever help them win an election that they may not win. Um, so it was a massive, massive win for democracy. You know, I often find myself when I hear all these these stories about Clarence Thomas and Ginny Thomas, I I'm I'm just I'm like up to here because I know that the, the the lack of ethics rules in the Supreme Court is so obscene. I mean, God bless Sheldon Whitehouse for keeping a focus on this and trying to push for ethics um, baseline, you know, behavioral standards for the Supreme Court. The lack of it is just obscene. But to me, 
with what we have right now, it comes down to voting. It comes down to voting. How do we expand the Supreme Court to make it uh, reflect the majority of this country? How do we impeach someone like Justice Thomas? Well, we have to we have to vote more Democrats in. And I mention this, you know, all the time. Our Senate, our Senate is so undemocratic by nature. I think um, it's been a while since I quoted this stat, so I might be off. But I think even with a 50-50, um, and of course we have a little bit more than that now, but even with a 50-50 Senate, um, Democrats, because of the undemocratic nature of the Senate, represent something like 40 million more Americans than their Republican counterparts, 40 million more. And so just because of the nature of our institutions, we have to be in overdrive to get those landslide victories like Janet Protasiewicz which got in Wisconsin to put more Democrats in power. We simply have to have much greater numbers. We have to have these kind of, we have to have the supermajorities on the pro-democracy side in order to affect what we need to happen in the Supreme Court um, with, you know, fighting back this obscene attack on women's rights uh, to put in sensible gun legislation to enact voting rights and stop this insane gerrymandering that is just stripping entire populations of representation. What does it come down to? At the end of the day, it comes down to turning out like hell, organizing like hell, knocking on doors, writing letters, um, engaging people that, you know, I do this in my daily life. I do this when I'm out like at the, like yesterday. I mean, I went to pick up my lunch and I, the guy's like, how are you? I'm like, well, I'm not real happy right now because they just expelled two black legislators in Tennessee and it's kind of racist and disgusting. And he he knew nothing about it. And I'm just, you know, telling the guy who I'm picking up my lunch from all about what's going on in politics. And it turns out he knows nothing about it, but he really cares and he'd like to know. It, it, you know, that's that's what this movement is all about. Midas Touch is all about. This show is all about getting people more engaged, shining a light on what is going on, because so many people, millions and millions of uh, eligible voters in this country do not vote. We have to be more engaged. We have to be more engaged in protecting our freedom and stopping this fascist, these fascist attempts to take a, take them away. Je Jessica, could you imagine just for a moment if George Soros so much as took one of the Democratic justices on the Supreme Court for a deli sandwich, what would occur? the level of outrage, what would be on CNN, all the large media networks, the right wing, how did, by the way, that is why they come up with their lies. That is why they make up fake truth, right? That is why in Soviet Russia, they called their main uh, disinformation paper Pravda. They call the truth. There's a reason Trump calls his social media company that. These are the tactics. This, this is what propaganda is all about to try to insulate their fascism. But the way you rebut it is through this, is through Lights On, is through the Midas Touch Network, is through programs like this. But speaking of which, I want to hear, Jessica, about news in your case, because there were some ah. big positive developments there. And I know everybody wants to hear about that. So what happened with your case? And maybe just give a little bit of background, too, on the case for some <laughs> of the new viewers. Well, I have a I have a 
human rights lawsuit against the Trump campaign. This is my foundational lawsuit that initiated the whole battle that eventually led to me invalidating the Trump non-disclosure agreement. That initial lawsuit in New York Supreme Court, the same court where Trump is currently under criminal indictment, um, is ongoing to this day. And we have had to, I have a, a larger legal team on the NDA side. I have a small but mighty legal team of two lawyers on my original case. And uh, Ben, you know, you know about hunting down witnesses. It's not always easy. The Trump campaign was not helping us with this process at all. Um, there are some uh, names that you know that are very key witnesses who I had you know, very significant interactions with and are very key players in my lawsuit, including Kellyanne Conway, Steve Bannon, and others. Um, as we were not being successful with process servers getting these people served to be deposed in my lawsuit. They, are, they were very expensive. I mean, this is lots of um, legal bills were racking up, money that I did not have. And so last year, um, uh, my my dear mother and I took it into our own hands to get some of these um, people served. Of course, I can't do the serving, so I hired my mom, and um, and she got Kellyanne Conway served outside of her home on Embassy Row in Washington D.C. She got the Human Resources Director. <laughs> these are incredible stories, which I am writing about at the moment. Um, she got the Human Resources Director served, and one year ago. On Easter of all days, she got Steve Bannon served outside of his townhouse in Capitol Hill. Now, Steve Bannon threw that subpoena on the ground, refused um, to acknowledge it. We had to file a, um, this was a domesticated subpoena in D.C. from New York. Since the case is in New York, we had to get it domesticated through the D.C. court in order to serve it. So we had it domesticated there. We then filed a motion to have it enforced um, earlier this year, just earlier this year. It was a, in a log jam in the D.C. Superior Court. Um, and this earlier this year, we got a ruling that uh, Bannon was ordered to sit for a deposition. Now, we um, have gotten outreach from his lawyers because I think they did not want Steve Bannon to be arrested in the case of Jessica Denson versus Donald J. Trump for president, which he would have been if he ignored this process. And so we have now secured the deposition of Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon will testify in my human rights lawsuit um, pertaining to when he was the CEO of the Trump campaign in 2016. And that will happen on April 26th. Will you be there? <laughs> will you be at the deposition? It will be virtual and you better believe I will be there. All right. I'm at all my depositions. I am <laughs> never not there. <laughs> will you be able to report back to all the lights on? So we have to figure out a name for like lights on fans, like the way we have for political beatdown. It's the uh, beatdown brigaders for legal yeah. AF. We've got the legal AFers for the Midas touch podcast. We got the Midas mighty for lights on. I don't know the lights honors. I'm not really fully. I'm not I don't really. Know. We'll think you'll, you guys will have to give us some ideas. I got it. I got it. The ready? Shiners, I don't know. Ready? <laughs> it's not like are, you re are you ready for this? I just thought of it. Okay. The lights on. Luminaries. Oh, the luminaries. That's not bad. The lights not bad. on luminaries. The luminaries. Okay. 
because well, that I, is all, that, that's what it's all about. It's illumin it's illuminating the truth. Hopefully, I'm using it in the right way um, here uh, each and every day on the Midas Touch Network, on Lights On, on all of the shows that we do. Unfortunately, large media networks are just not discussing. Maybe they're too busy. Maybe it's the fact that they're controlled by interests that actually are not aligned with what the people want. But you know, when you and I decided we were going to do this show uh, together and I was going to be your sidekick, I'll still call myself your sidekick. <laughs> even if, um, Despite you my know, best efforts. <laughs> I, I know it was very important for you to have just the truth out there, you know, to speak to people and to speak to people like on the Midas Touch Network, right? We have the show with the brothers where you get to see kind of me and the family um, and how we actually are. Um, you know, you have legal AF and you get the legal perspective um, from me, Karen Friedman, Agnifilo and, and Popak. In the Michael Cohen show, Political Beatdown, you get, uh, you know, you get Cohen raw and unfiltered, you know. And so as you and I were talking about it, it was like, well, what kind of lane will this show occupy? And it was an easy answer for you. It was like, let's just talk about humanity and decency and just like core basic values. And let's talk about all of the issues. Let's talk about all of the breaking news. But let's not forget the humanity behind it, the people behind it, and the different forces that there are. As you mentioned in this episode, thematically, the forces of love out there and then the forces of kind of hate and the forces of and evil. And, yeah. it's a, and, and it's a very clear uh, dichotomy. It's a very clear paradigm. And the media may want to obfuscate what that paradigm is. Oh, there's extreme here. There's extreme there. There's extreme there. I don't buy it. Seems that... The leadership of one party is a cult and the other party is trying to make sure that you get health care and better paying jobs and control your body. Great so, economic numbers, by the way. Lowest black unemployment in history. Unemployment rate overall dropped to 3.5%. So we'll, we'll stick that in there to leave you all with the success of the pro-democracy uh, administration that we have right now. Jessica, I'll give you the final word. Uh, thank you all for for being with us again. Um, I I would like to indulge me, indulge me, salty. Can can you take us out with? We had some breaking news to to shift our focus, but can you take us out with a back to back of Representative Pearson last night and Martin Luther King? Because I think we should just be so grateful that we have these people in our lives, and can we just shine a light on them as we take us out tonight? It's always in the places and with the people who get pushed to the periphery. The people who get told to be quiet, the folks who get expelled, the people who are pushed to the margins, that show the society what it truly means to fight, what it truly means to get to the center of the conversation, to get to the issues that are at stake. And sometimes that takes breaking a few decorum rules. Sometimes to get from the periphery in the back of the house, you got to go to the well of democracy and demand that democracy be true for everybody, not just the rich white men in suits, not just the rich white people who got these positions of power perpetuating the status quo. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. I live, then 
China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. So just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Jessica Denson, I will let you give the shout out to the crew. Shout out to the Midas Mighty and our newly named luminaries. We love you. Thank you for being with us. (laughs) 